So, it's a very uh, special occasion for me, dear, very dear occasion. The Amaravati Temple, its uh, sense of space, great welcoming space and openness, presence of uh, contemplatives, some I've known for many years, but just that sense of stability, commitment, resolve. And uh, you know, the teacher, the Buddha, and the Samedo, it's kind of virtual presences. It acts as a kind of like a, an arena with which my jitta, my heart sits and uh, feels uh, delighted, calmed, cooled, steadied. And today being the Uposa today, this again very, um, you know, it's a heart quality. You know, I don't know what day it is, it's probably Monday or something <laughs> on a secular level. And this is just Great Gaddesdon <laughs> in another way. But for me, it's not. It's a temple, sacred space, sacred day, noble company. And uh, that's the reality that uh, gives the greatest comfort, delight, uh, capacity. Mm. Clears the uh, worldly concerns, agitations, images of oneself, you know, circumstantial wrangles and perplexities and conundrums, mm. worries about the future, mm. regrets, opinions and views about other people. Opinions of views about oneself. Yeah. And so it's this is the place of temple and uh, it's an important place to establish. And uh, although now it's for me it's particularly encouraged by this visual appearance and his uh uh, particular people, it's actually a reference point within which I, my chitta, my heart dwells, finds steadiness and stability. And if you, it's my recommendation is you cultivate uh, in this way, you can establish that wherever you go. And you can see the obstacles that are uh, blocking your access to that, impairing your progress, uh, making your life tense, uh, making your life problematic, 
cluttering your mind with details, getting head up about nothing, nothing really worthwhile. And so this is important to touch into this place. I don't just mean this physical place. This is the place of jitta, heart, awareness, when it lands in direct experience, which is its base. And if we uh, begin to understand what that is, the direct jitta realities, the heart realities, then it helps to clear a lot of confusion. If you move outside that, you're in danger. If you move outside those heart realities, you're in trouble. Mm. We move outside of that through sensual realities, you know, sights, sounds, touches, um, thoughts. We move outside of it through uh, opinions and views, which are mental realities, psychological realities. They exist, uh, but they don't. They don't lead to the unconditioned. Sensual realities happen, but they don't lead to the unconditioned, yeah. and uh, they're constantly inadequate and break down, shift and change. Opinions and views exist, but this dispensation is about the relinquishment of opinions and views, because they don't lead to the unconditioned either. (laughs) They obstruct it. And so once we begin to see the possibilities of our comfort, release, stability, openness, um, freedom, and the possibilities of our losing that, you take it quite seriously, where you place yourself, where you found your foundation, where you establish yourself, where you really settle yourself. Don't settle yourself in the wrong territory. (laughs) Don't settle yourself in terms of sights and sounds and touches. Don't settle yourself in terms of thoughts and views and opinions about yourself, others, or anything. Uh, They'll let you down. They'll drag you down. (laughs) They don't just let you down. They drag you down. Mm. And Buddha said, you're clinging to these, you come into misery, conflict, even to hell. Mm. So she said, you, one who is aware is suitably fearful of the danger, because it's so apparent, it's so easy to slip into. It's because our birth into this form, we are endowed with these sense faculties. And the most powerful of those is the mental faculty. And the mental faculty, manas, manovinyana, mental faculty, called intellect, conceiving mind. The conceiving mind, which is not about direct experience, it's about interpretations of experience. 
Und Jitta, feels, senses, opens, trembles, contracts, quietens, stabilizes. It's, it's affected, it shakes, it gets turbulent, it stirs, it soothes. It's very much this effective being affected and it can become very luminous and spacious. It deals with that level of experience. But the mano-vijnana, mind consciousness, is always filling up data. It's great on data. That's what it does. It, uh, it talks about sights and sounds, uh, touches. It talks about um, future. It talks about past. It talks about how things should be, could be, how they were, how they weren't. It talks about what one is, what one isn't, what one could be. It talks about what other people are, could be, should be, aren't. <laughs> it talks a lot. Uh, and this is the vehicle that the uninstructed worldling uses to navigate their way in the world. Yeah. And the whole world is running on that. And we can see the results of that. Um, conflict. The sense of the individuals being separated from each other. Individuality, conflict, nationality, differences, diversities, that conflict. Yeah. Hunger, craving, never contented, always craving for more. Yeah. And you, you don't have to look very far on any level. It's local, town, country, family. Whenever that happens, there's going to be arguments, conflict, division. Because what's happening is the mind is is saying she's this, he's that, I'm this, I'm that. It should be this, it shouldn't be that. Does this. And it creates constantly these interpretations. Yeah. Works in terms of its interpretations. It operates like that. It keeps conjuring them up. Uh, and it does it like a flash. And they're often extremely detailed and etched in with clarity. He is this, she is that. They're never this, they're always that. You know, and it just rushes up with a hit to it. And you feel gripped by it. This is why it's uh, one of the bases of clinging. You feel gripped by it. It seizes you. <laughs> it's not spacious. <laughs> it doesn't release, it seizes. <laughs> Yeah, opinions seize, don't they? They don't have a releasing, open, relaxing quality, seize. And they, they stir, and they produce more. And that's a mark of clinging. Yeah, and say, does this lead to Nibbana? Well, you might speculate about what Nibbana is. But very directly speaking, Nibbana's unbind, release open, let go, you know, it's a quality of heart, it's not a, 
a notion, it's just that quality of the heart when it undoes. And opinions always do the opposite, they tighten up. And the mind faculty is, is very good at that. Creates all kinds of um, concepts, notions, and they're often with an extreme degree of clarity, with all kinds of emotional undercurrents. This is urgent, this is important. It can't be this way, it must be that way. They never do this, I always do that. I am this, I am that, she's this, he's that, you know, there's sort of emotional intensity behind it. And it's it's blinding. It's blinding. So those of us who are not completely liberated, we should be on guard against this. And know how to use this Manovinyana, this mind consciousness faculty just to touch something and draw one's awareness towards it, draw one's heart towards it. How is this? How am I with this? Is there greed in my mind? Is there aversion in my mind? Is my mind jumping into conclusions? Yeah. Is it is it hasty? Is it clinging? So, okay, it's free from that, therefore we can operate. So, someone who really leaves the world which is the uh, gone forth life, whether you're a summoner or even a lay person, you know, if you really use the occasion you know, when you're meditating, and ideally if you're living in a community like this, when you can make it full time to really leave the world. And this doesn't mean necessarily, you know, giving up your family and so forth. Of course, that can be the case, but it's just for now, drop the worldly way. Understand the worldly way, you know, the tension of it and the intensity of it and the data that it, it brings with it and all the should and shouldn't and could and couldn't and will be and won't be and judgment and comparisons, oneself and others. And all this, this incredible busyness that goes on. And one of the blessings of a situation like this is the place of temple, the meditation place, is a place where you, you stop and open. And then you, hey, you get to check it out. Right? And so you're keeping your meditation. You call it meditation. You want to call it that. Of course, you can have opinions about that too. <laughs> They say the realm of, you know, growth in direct experience, bhavana, growing, growing into the direct experience, beginning to feel that territory, direct experience. And so the beginner is recommended to directly experience the body, not what we think it is, not, not our opinions about it, not even the sense of touch, but just the sense of being here, location. Oh, yeah. How do you know you're here? Oh. Uh -huh. Stable, isn't it? It may not last long, but that's the idea as you build it up by that reference to here, here, just here, steady, here. And, you know, using whatever you can to support that reference point till you get a sense of stability. Yeah.
you know, and you really look into the the way the Buddha taught, he never taught us to focus on any particular point in the body, unless you're doing a review of the unattractive aspects of it. <laughs> you know, this is a liver, this is a spleen, this is viscera, this is guts, you know. You can fall on points, but actually, that's not direct experience, that's thinking about it. So you come to the world of direct experience, you don't get those details. I don't know if I've got a liver or not. They tell me I have, but I can't experience anything of that nature. You know, directly, what I experience from the place of jitta, presence. There's presence here. And it's it's listening, it's sensitive. Mm. The rest of the details of the body, I can't, you know, don't get that. I go to the sense contact, yeah, I can do that. But even then, if I feel that, what is it? It's just movements of feeling, energy shifting around. So in direct experience, the conventional body doesn't even exist. You know, it's just, uh, you have to go to the sense reality for that. You know, in direct heart experience, is just being here. And you're really encouraged to do that because it is, even though it's extremely simple, it's, it's you know, you've got to put quite a lot aside. Uh, and that gives you an idea when you meditate, of what the path is about. It's about not building up, but pulling aside. You get that fundamental theme. Whatever you can put aside, put it aside. Because the truth will remain. Whatever your mind can hold on to, can you put it aside? Yeah. So you benefit from the simplicity of presence. And of course your mind thinks, you can't do this the rest of your life, you've got to deal with important things. Well, just do it for half an hour then. Well, I don't know, you know, maybe I should, I will tomorrow. Because <laughs> right now I've got to, <laughs> do you see what it does? <laughs> it doesn't like that, that Nibbana gesture. Yeah. I don't feel so good today, so I, no, no, just... Put aside what you can put aside. Yeah. And uh, it's very simple, but it takes practice and quite a lot of resolution and conviction to just keep doing that. Because it's not a condemnation or a suppression. It's just put it aside. You can return to that later. But unless you find your stable ground, your place of truth, you're not adequate to deal with your problems. You don't have the resources, you'll just struggle and proliferate, which is what people do. If you don't have that foundation of stable presence, of detachment, of disengagement, what you'll do when you find a problem is you'll, you'll fight with it. You'll blame somebody, you'll blame yourself, you'll blame your mother. You blame your father, you blame God. <laughs> Something must be at fault. 
So your fundamental reaction to problem is ill will. <laughs> right? So it's called blaming. It can be guilt, you know, blaming yourself. It can be resentment, blaming somebody else. It can be fear, like they, you know, everybody else, nobody else likes me. There's something wrong with me. So inferred hostility is still this quality of arati is the Buddhist word for it. One of the primary agents of Mara delusion, and it's very instilled in our reactions to the conflicts that we experience once we enter that, you know, the world of the mind. If you travel in the world of the mind, the thinking mind, how far can you go before they find something you don't agree with? About the nature of the world, about the people you live with, about your body, about what happened in the past. You can't travel very far before you find something that wasn't quite right. Because that's the nature of that domain. That's the nature, it's called samsara. It doesn't work. It's like that, it's unsatisfactory. So you travel in that, you're going to find this is where this uh, arati, ill will, negativity, resentment, um, you know, resides in that domain. And when you touch these places, when you're traveling that thinking mind and you feel that sense is wrong, it becomes extremely, your mind grips it very clear. Absolutely flashes in powerful clarity and it justifies ill will. He was like this, he never was like that, he's despicable, he shouldn't be this way, he's corrupt, inadequate, foolish, da da da, da. and then Therefore, it justifies this pouring out of ill will. Of course, there's some great beings out there who, you know, some great, great people you can feel a lot of ill will about, you know. So most, most leaders of most countries are people you can get into your mind, you think, you know, sounds like an idiot, fool, corrupt, lazy, bigot. And it's true. It's true, it's true. It is. Well, where is he? Where is this person you find so despicable? Where are they? <laughs> Directly, in the world of direct experience. Where are they? Ghosts, aren't they? And we travel in this world of ghosts, in the thinking mind. Mm. We travel in the world of people who were something, or didn't do something, or did something I didn't like. Where's that? That's in the world of ghosts, isn't it? Mm. And we make that, stencil that in, 
gives a sense of clarity and justifies our disappointment, our judgments, our ill will, our sense of guilt, inadequacy. It justifies our suffering and traps us in it. This is that, that world of the mind under the force of negativity, arati, unable to feel satisfied, unable to feel blessed, unable to feel grateful, unable to feel open. Mm-hmm. This is definitely a dangerous territory to get into. <laughs> So when you come to your meditation place, is that where you go? And because we do access this world of the thinking mind, we operate it with it a lot. This is the sense in which the chitta has to keep constantly reviewing and cleaning the effects, because we all have history of living under that process of the thinking mind, of conceiving and comparing and achieving and failing and people we approve of and disapprove of. That's how we operate it. So we have a lot of inherent inclination to that domain and involvement with it. And even the, the residues of that have affected our hearts to feel, you know, drained, depleted, shaky, disturbed, you know, because the effects of all that stuff, the effects of that arati, come back into the heart. So we import sangsara. We go out, something in us generates it, and then we import the results. Heart becomes sick, unhappy, disturbed, fearful, doubtful, burdened, so on. And uh, so this, then you drag yourself down with it. Mm. Of course, you know, I'm saying you, but it's not actually you at all. It's these reflexes of arati, these outflows, asava, the Buddha talked about, these corrupting reflexes that happen. Uh, they burst and they sweep the chitta into these constricted places. Yeah, so as the, you know, the Buddha very simply summed up, um, you know, to uplift that which is beautiful, good, um, to move away from that which is unskillful, and to purify the citta, thoroughly clean the citta, Sachitta pariyodapanangi tangbuddha sasanang. Completely clean, purify, refresh the citta from the effects of our involvement in the sangsaric domain. Mm. Sadness, depression, feeling of inadequacies, conflict. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Judgments, bad temper and so on. Mm. And this is how you do it. You come back into presence. Mm. 
the nature of presence, as you stabilize, it gives the potential for the citta to open because with presence you're coming into the citta's own domain, you know, which is non-conceptual, non-conceivable. You're kind of touching into the citta's own domain where there's awareness and you're aware present. Present. You're aware present. And those are just two words, aren't they? <laughs> but, you know, it's what's not there. It's the, the, the elimination or the, or the movement away from detail of identity, time, place, world, future, past. It withdraws from that. That's how you know it, because it's a lessening of the burden. And it's a lightness to it. And you, as you withdraw, uh, don't get interested, don't put energy into it, don't even worry about these difficulties that you have. Just withdraw. It doesn't mean suppress or deny, it just means don't get interested in it. Don't get fascinated, don't make it more complicated. Don't build on it, just pull your energy out. It's like taking your money out of that bank and bring it back into presence. And if that is established, you begin to realize by itself, when the chitta does withdraw, it starts to open. There's definitely a feeling of less shut down, less oppressed, you know, less restricted, begins to open, steadily open and feel comfortable. And there's a sense of inner spaciousness with very few thoughts or no thoughts or thoughts just drifting through something quite open. And, uh, I mean, I'm putting it in these terms, but I think if you asked any experienced practitioner, they would agree that's the kind of territory that you enter. Mm-hmm. And it gives you a perspective on those thoughts and impulses that are there, those energies that are there. And this is a place where you, you really are not pushing it. It's important that that quality of coming to presence has a relaxing feel to it. Because that's the nature we're putting aside. So it's not about trying to meditate, trying to concentrate, trying to get it right, trying to be stable, trying to purify. Because all that trying, however good intentioned, is the wrong kind of energy to use. It's the energy of releasing, letting go softening, non-resistance. It's that softening, releasing energy, that movement, that is this return. So it almost feels like a return. And so as you cultivate that, it's like, oh, it's you returning out of this incredible circus of phenomena with their powerful their powerful movements full of the sound and fury going nowhere and you're returning back home to that oh here where all that dies down 
And if you, that is the place where your chitta will, by itself, its resources grow. That's its nature. And it doesn't run out because it's satisfied. And it's satisfied by that present, open quality. Now, you know, now we may not have that as a full experience, we may only have some of that. And for most people, there's going to be, you know, phenomena arising within that that we perhaps dislike or fight against or get fascinated by it. And there's your ongoing path practice, right? Because you translate that, those experiences, those thoughts, concerns, histories, people, into what actually is the direct heart impression of this. Oh, this is the quality of worry. Oh, worry, yeah. Huh? So you translate it back into hard experiences. This is the experience of feeling overwhelmed. Oh, yeah. You translate it back into hard experiences. The citta, the heart, can then deal with it. And it deals with it basically by just letting go. Of not of the topic, but of the effect of the topic. You see what I mean? Because the citta doesn't actually live in this sense world. It receives the effects of the sense world. The effects that the, that the mind, thinking mind, conceiving mind, drops into it. But it doesn't actually live in the sense world. If it did, there would be no liberation. Right? <laughs> but what it does live in, or finds itself affected by, are the results, the mental results, the mental assumptions about the sense world, the messages that come in. The very fundamental emotional messages, like emotional messages, worry. Uh, overwhelmed, uh, fearful, uh, defensive, uh, averse, uh, impassioned, uh, need, need, need. These kind of coordinators, signs, when it's affected by these signs, it shakes and trembles. But when the citta has found stable presence, it can feel those movements of worry, ill will, guilt, opinionatedness, anger, passion. Mm-hmm. Oh, feels that they cause it, if it knocking, contracting, they just take up stable presence and return to that, begins to expand again and discard. This is the cleaning process. Yeah. So a wise practitioner is not ex- like when you take a, you know, a shirt that's dirty, you put it in water, sure, the dirt comes out, the water looks pretty bad, but that's good, <laughs> because you're cleaning it. So sometimes your meditation experiences a lot of mucky stuff. But the idea is, rather than fixate on the muddy water, yeah, you learn to just 
yeah, 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 let it go, let it go. And you begin to realize an innate purity that's there, the purification, and you rejoice in it. Yeah. One of the suttas I was looking at today about blemishes, and the Buddha said there's a person who experiences blemishes, I mean corruptions, kilesas, however you want to put it, uh, and said so the inferior person doesn't acknowledge they have a blemish. <laughs> Therefore, they're stuck. <laughs> when they experience a blemish, they think, it's his fault. <laughs> or they experience a blemish, say, yes, because I don't get this. Yeah. They experience a blemish and they say, yeah, because my mother didn't. Or they experience a blemish, say, because there's too much to do. So it continually projects out into a world that they can't change. Right? You project the pain into a world that you can't change because it's bound up with him and them and this and that and there's a frustration. You know, because it's moving into a world that it can't change. Then it starts to fight and complain, feel angry, feel upset, feel unloved. And this is the person who doesn't understand a blemish, the inferior person. The superior person who has a blemish feels a sense of, oh, oh I feel bad, disappointed, angry, upset. Oh, it's a blemish. Don't project it out onto them and this and that instead, because that would just take you out into a world that you can't have anything, you can't change. You feel upset, overwhelmed, you suffer. You probably end up saying terrible things to each other, don't go there. Instead, feel that sense of disappointed, let down, not respected, not liked, and how's that then? Oh. Does nobody else ever get this? Everybody gets this. <laughs> it's not personal. This is what the jitta has to learn to meet and not project, but dissolve. This is our occasion. Everybody has wounds, everybody has scar tissue, everybody gets what they don't like, <laughs> one way or another. The place of the gone forth person is the place where they digest it and release it. This is the task, you say, this is the commitment, this is what we are doing. This is why we are, you know, those who practice are worthy of honour, worthy of respect, because they have blemishes, but they act in a superior way, rather than an inferior way. Mm. And that's not just, you know, it also makes them feel good. But it means you've got to turn it around. Yeah. Don't go creating a world. It's incredibly justifiable. Absolutely, you can you know you can ink in infinite details in it. The sense world, the world of the mind, is exceptionally elaborate and convincing. And ask yourself: When you go into that, do you ever find an end to suffering? 
do you ever find a place of stability and peace and ease? Yeah. Could you ever? Does anybody ever? And if you're really honest, you say, I haven't found it yet. Yeah. Maybe I will, but I haven't found it yet. You might have found a place where I'm getting mine. Yeah. And you can't live with other people. So the delusion faculty supports this process where we we don't even really acknowledge you know, the trap that we build for ourselves. You know, so human beings in general can do that, you know. I'm getting mine. I'm okay, I'm getting mine. In fact, you know, I've got the money, I've got the support, I can get my place, get it together for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Or this clinging, dogmatism. I've got the right opinion, the right view, this and everybody else, so what? They're wrong. And I'm not suffering. <laughs> A delusion. And so when we come to the place of, of presence, you want to open and start to bring in certain fundamental recollections. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Does this standpoint I'm having, does my world, does my standpoint, does my sense of self, is that capable of being in a wider territory? You know, Does it allow other people in and out? Can I live in a context? Or do I have to constantly hold on to my way to make it work? Can it be open or has to be closed? And you'll find that when it's open, and when it opens, the world of self and other disappears. When it closes, I'm getting mine, I'm fine, it's his fault. That's closed. There's a closure there. You can feel it in your heart when it closes. It may close with all kinds of bright reasons, but that's the point. If you go directly to the heart, you experience that sense of enclosure. You know, I'm, I'm Theravada, therefore. I am a nun, I'm a monk, therefore, you know. It always leaves somebody out, doesn't it? It's exclusive, divisive. So you ask yourself, does this quality that I'm supporting, does this allow for that openness? Because the nature of the stable chitta is it opens. And where does it feel closing? Because of, ah, that's where the blemish is. And it could be, because I'm not very good, because I'm, you know, I'm only, I've got all kinds of problems. I'm not a very good person. I've got, you know, I'm inadequate. And you believe it. <laughs> now that's called arati, your will. <laughs> yeah. It's the blemish of your will. And now it's aiming at somebody called you. Hmm. Because I did all these terrible things when I was in my teens. And I did this and that, and I didn't respect that, and I was bad-tempered, and I did this and that. So all the details come in. That's arati. And just working on the mind, the mind will then conjure up the past reality with powerful memories. Yeah. 
and you'll go into it and lament and feel agitated and feel oppressed by it. That's, that's ill will <laughs> driving a generation of an artificial self closure. And it closes things down. So, does this cause closure or not? Does this lead to dismantling? Yeah. And does it lead to release, dismantling? And this isn't something delayed in time. I'm sure you've heard this phrase many times, and I expect much of what I'm saying you've heard many times before. But when we say, you know, not delayed in time, it's because any time that you create is an illusion. There is no, you know. I mean, what is the future apart from worry or anticipation? What is the past except for regret and nostalgia? In the reality, these time boundaries are, they don't exist. So whenever that comes up, about what you were, what you would be, you notice, oh, this is delusion. Here comes the, and then the blemishes will start to appear. The defilements will start to appear. Closure, you've made a boundary. So this is a very, I think it's just find it very helpful to just have simple reference points. Present, future, you go into that, suffering will appear. And you don't need to go into that. If you enter the realm of the, the chitta, the heart, it's not there. There's change, there's maybe fluidity's moving, but there's no time boundaries. And another very important reference point is self and other. If they appear, if they appear, and your mind starts to compare or contrast, I'm better than, she's better than, I'm not as good as I was, I, he isn't, he was, this, you know, it's happening again. Because where are these people? You know, they're just fantasies, aren't they? And how much of it is steeped in some kind of form of ill will? Not necessarily hatred, but regret, guilt, fear, inadequacy, criticism, judgment, you know, dismissiveness, lack of sympathy, lack of love. You know, that doesn't matter. You know. And you, when you come into that, and you really sense that, you know what a blemish is and how degrading it is. You know, so. You, Superior person wants to know that, so they're constantly open to the very wide picture. See, is there anything in this domain where this stuff can happen? Mm. Mm. So actually, then the, the once you tackle it this, look at it this way, then the you know the conventional world is then a, a, a very helpful workshop. Uh, though you leave the world 
in a way, you return to that once you have a basis, because here's the place, this phenomenal world is where you begin to see where these blemishes can start to crystallize. Yeah. Yeah. These innate defects, this is, where, this is where they start to saturate the world. So living in community is a great way, a great practice, a great path to really see how you generate other people in your heart and how if you don't generate other people in your heart, you can live with a great sense of comfort and warmth with other people. But if you generate people in your heart, you're going to find yourself regretting feeling inferior, feeling superior, feeling right, feeling wrong, <laughs> that's going to happen. So this is like a workshop. Yeah. And when living in community, there's a chance to live with a sense of shared presence, shared values, shared sympathies, or one switch, and it's them, them and us, them and me. <laughs> and the whole thing starts to start moving, you know, and we've got trouble. And you're thinking, wow, how did that happen? And uh, certainly, you know, the reality of it is in monastic life, this happens. You know, you get people who've made commitments to precepts, live being honored, respected, uh, cared for, living vows, no violence, no drinking, no swearing, no cursing, you know, sharing requisites, offered requisites freely. This should be fantastic. <laughs> and yet, in these situations, you can still find the potency of the sangsaric mindset takes over and we start to find divisions, us group, that group, I'm not going to work with him, he's so-and-so, she's a control freak, you know, going on, the whole sangsaric mindset, and you think this is, it's, it's stark, because you'd think, how could, you know, this sort of situation must be a place which must, you know, there's so much giving, generosity, virtue, you know, we should be on a dream ticket here, but uh, the movement through to that place means you've got to review how you operate in this sensory domain, operate from the heart. Hmm? Operate from the heart. All beings have karma, all beings seek release those who we live with we should cherish respect whether they're however they are because not respecting them does me harm i don't have to decide whether they're worthy of respect because not respecting them does me harm i don't have to decide whether they're worthy of my kindness because me being stingy does me harm. So you just, you know, you just operate from your heart rather than your measuring mind. 
And this is the way we, uh, you know, we purify uh, our own hearts. And, and realize this is what you're here for. You know, when we, all this support, the encouragement, is here for us to purify our hearts. And we can only do it ourselves. Eventually. And it's beauty of it is, it's just that simplicity to leave the complexities, to disengage from the mindsets, the opinions, the ideologies, which can be you know, dazzling, fascinating. That's their lure. Emotionally stirring. That's the lure. That's the decoy. Nibbana is not dazzling. It's the withdrawal. And the clarity is not that clarity that jumps up and becomes dark. It's the clarity which descends. It's like a sense of something clearly releasing. And you know, if that's happening, you can trust it. If it's going the other way, be very careful. And for most of us, as we are swinging between one and the other, this is where we learn. This is where we learn. Don't follow that. Understand it. This is the passion. This is the fear. This is the irritation. Bring it back. Dissolve it. This way we we clean. And so, because still the the jitta, if it's not fully awakened, still has these sticky tendencies, stuff sticks to it. And so our learning process is not to imagine that we don't have any sticking places or that we don't have any blemishes. To be proud or foolish, the superior person begins to see where the, the trap is, see where the blemish is, and know this has to be held with mindfulness, seen with discernment, cleaned with a mind of goodwill, cleaned with a mind of goodwill. Ill will does not clean anything. Goodwill cleans everything, releases things. Yeah. This is the way we should practice and uh, it's the open opportunity, always available. Doesn't matter where you've been. Doesn't matter how much of a mess you've made. Now, presence is available. Now, presence is always available. It's an open door. Yeah. Anyone?